today on CityCast Denver. It's Denver Restaurant Week. We're talking mile-high culinary history and the Cowtown stereotype we just can't seem to shake. Plus, we've got a local restaurant expert on the show today sharing his tips and tricks for getting the most out of this Denver foodies holiday. Today is Friday, March 11th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city that finally has a star quarterback again. Finally! And we also have Sierra. We have Sierra now, which I'm excited about because I'm an early 2000s club goer and I want a one-two step with Sierra. But really, (laughs) we're talking about Denver Restaurant Week, which kicks off today. Uh, Peyton Garcia, CityCast Denver newsletter writer and our resident foodie, what do you love about Denver Restaurant Week? Denver Restaurant Week is one of my favorite weeks of the year, Um, and that's because I love food, I love to eat, but more than either of those things, I love dining out at a restaurant where I put my phone away, I engage with the service staff, I learn about my food and how it was prepared, and it's just that sense of community. That's what I love about dining out. People talk about... um, the, the spirit of Christmas, right? People get excited about the spirit around Christmas. I'm a Christmas freak. So. I get excited about the spirit around restaurant week because I feel like it's my people. We go out, it's just all this camaraderie. And I think more now more than ever, the restaurants and the servers and the bartenders, they need our support after the last two years. So I'm, I'm really stoked for this year's restaurant week. Patty Calhoun, co-founder and editor of Westward. What are you excited about when it comes to Denver Restaurant Week? I'm excited that it gives Denver restaurants the attention they deserve. It's not just an opportunity to go out and eat, but that it exhibits just how much restaurants are an intrinsic part of the entertainment scene. You know, it's rock. It's like rock and roll for a lot of people. It's a critical part of our of our economy, and for a long time, people didn't recognize that. And they certainly didn't recognize it when they were touting the city nationally for tourists. And first time on the show, John Embergamo, Denver restaurateur, behind-the-scenes, all-knowing dining guy. What do you love about Denver Restaurant Week? Best intro ever. <laughs> um, you know... I look at at Restaurant Week a little bit from the consumer perspective. And from the consumer perspective, it removes all barriers to entry. So if you're an average consumer and you want to eat at a fancy-schmancy restaurant like Mercantile, um, you you have to consider how much that's going to cost you. And you you don't really know. I mean, you can look at the menu and add it up and all that kind of stuff. But you really don't know, you know, once you get in there, how tempted you're going to be by, by something else. Whereas... During restaurant week, you know it's 45 bucks. And and there's this kind of guarantee that you know what you can get. And and I talk to people who spend hours um, on the Denver Restaurant Week website perusing menus and and choosing what they think is the best deal. And and um, it, and it's and it's just such an interesting phenomena 
because it, there's this guarantee of, of um, not guarantee of quality necessarily, but there is a guarantee of price. And that's one of the barriers to entry to go to restaurants. Peyton, I feel like that's something that you talked about last year in the newsletter was that aspect of getting to try oh, the expensive totally. places. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, Restaurant Week, like I like to go to at least one restaurant that is like a fa- like treat myself to a fancy restaurant that I like that normally would cost a lot of money. And I'll, I'm so detailed. I'll go and I'll compare the I'll break down the restaurant week price and compare it to their actual menu and like see how much I'm saving. Um, but I like an opportunity to go to a restaurant and treat myself. You know, like I love all the edible beets concepts, Justin Cucci's stuff. I like to go and treat myself to something like that. But then I also use it as an excuse to go somewhere I've never been before. Um, because like John said, you don't have that barrier to entry, right? It's you get a deal and it's a great way to introduce yourself to other to stuff you haven't tried yet. So Denver has not always been known or thought of as a place with a culinary scene. Um, Patty and John, I'd love for you both to give us some background. Where did Denver Restaurant Week come from? In in 2002, three somewhere in there, Visit Denver um, came to the realization after a whole fuckload of prodding um, that that food and restaurants made a difference to convention planners when it came to choosing a city. Wasn't the first thing, that's always hotel rooms, but it was in the top five as to why people chose a particular city. And their research said that um, Denver's national reputation out of 25 restaurants for the culinary scene was 23rd. And, and that was not good. And uh, that affected the convention business. So a guy named Rich Grant, who is a revered uh, PR guy here in town who worked at the Convention Visitors Bureau for 178 years, um, and whose answer to every journalist from out of town about what Denver's food scene was about was beer and buffalo, um, we convinced him to to think about this and how could we change that? How could we move this giant ship of national, the national perception of Denver's dining scene? And only one piece of that was Denver Restaurant Week. Um, we also did it, some James Beard dinners and, and some other, uh, quite a few other things. Who knows if it worked, but two weeks ago, you know, we got 12 nominations in the state of Colorado for James Beard Awards and and that's never happened before. So. So our culinary scene, it has improved and our national perception has improved. That's interesting that it came out of uh, this economic driver of yep. the convention scene, essentially. Patty, is there anything that you can think about or like thinking about the early 2000s Denver restaurant scene? What does that bring to you? What do you think about well, you think about a lot of new, innovative things that, are, that were happening. And also you have to remember that Denver has had some really interesting ethnic restaurants coming in from immigrants. We had the first Thai restaurants really in the country, some of them. Really? Vietnamese restaurants really early on because people moved here in the 70s after the war, during the war. Yeah. So restaurants are an important part of our lives here. We are not just going out to eat a steak every night. You know, people are going to try... Uh, Nuke Saigon, for example, a great 
early, early Vietnamese restaurant. They're going to go eat green chili, an obsession of ours. And there was actually once a whole essay put in the New Yorker about Rocky Mountain oysters. And like it was a joke about our cuisine and that's how to pronounce what they really were. And I'm like, is this what we want to tell the New Yorker about food in Colorado? We made endless amounts of fun of that, which was really fun for us. But it's a very serious business. People like to go out and eat here. And the restaurant scene was so much better than it seen, than it looked to the outside world. And it continues to get better. It also, um, there's this interesting phenomenon that everybody that's moved here in the last three years is, is responsible for the boom in restaurants, you know. And um, I, I tell this story all the time about having drinks in, at Cholan one day and this old gas bag of a guy in a vest and an ascot said, oh, you're John and Bergamo, I know who you are. And this, isn't it great we finally have a New York chef in Denver? And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? I mean, you know, so yeah, the guy moved from New York and he worked for Budokan in New York and I love Cholon. Um, and I think it's a wonderful, was a wonderful addition to the, to the Denver scene, but it didn't, it wasn't because he was a New York chef, you know, he wanted to live in Denver. And, and um, in the eighties we had, Restaurants, you know, you're talking about Vietnamese. We had Chez Toi, which was a this wonderful upscale French Vietnamese restaurant run by run and owned by a Vietnamese woman. And so, you know, we had great restaurants, just nobody knew about it. Interesting. I would um, I, I am a huge advocate for Denver's culinary scene. I'm always like, oh my gosh, we're, we're a dining destination now. Like we're awesome. And we have been for a while. We've just not been getting the credit. But then I go to places like New York or San Diego or San Francisco. And just how I always think Denver's this big city, I come home realizing like, oh, we're not a big city yet. And maybe our dining scene is not quite, it's not New York yet. I mean, We've clearly improved a lot, like you said, but like, how do you think we measure up to to those places? Well, I I think that's a false equivalency. So you know, there's 11 million people or 12 million people, whatever it is, in, in the city of New York. There's three million people in in our metro, in our whole metro. You know, not just in Denver. Um, and so you, you know, you can have a kosher Chinese restaurant in Manhattan and survive because there's enough mm. kosher Chinese people who, who want to eat there are people who want to eat that kind of food whereas here you just can't be that that Specific. niche you yeah. know mm. um, and and you know just the numbers are completely different so if there are 12,000 restaurants in the state of Colorado you know and and 500 of them are great um, then that, that that corresponding number in New York is five thousand, mm. you know, or, or more, and so it's just a it's just a tough uh, equivalency. And then when you mention, it's interesting you mentioned San Diego. I don't think of San Diego as a culinary destination by a long shot, other than um, street some street food mm-hmm. burritos in in certain parts. But you know, we compare better to Minneapolis and and. Uh, maybe Seattle and Portland and, and um, which are considered culinary destinations and Cincinnati and, and uh, places, but yeah, we got a ways to go, but the, the Delta between mm. 2000 maybe, or, or even the eighties and, and now is, uh, is significant. Hmm. Patty, do you think that Denver still has this cow town rep when it comes to food? 
I think among certain people, yes, but that's because it's an overall Cowtown rep. People like the image of the West. I mean, yeah. so when people are coming here from the East Coast, they want to see mountains. They maybe even want to see cows and bison. So they might want to go eat bison, but they want to eat other things too. So I just think it's part of the package. I don't think our restaurants make us a Cowtown. Even yeah. though, you know, we invented the cheeseburger, allegedly, and we have the Mexican hamburger. I think it's just part of the whole thing. But I just finished um, edit, judging the James Beard Award, Journalism Awards. And when you read about some of the, re the big reviews from other cities, and you compare them to some of the restaurants we have here, we have enough interesting restaurants in Denver that you could eat out every night and have a great meal at a different place. And I think what happens when you're on a trip, you're going to find the weird exotic place in San Diego, which I don't think has a food scene that is the equivalent of ours. And when you go to New York, of course, you're going to see these incredible places. But we don't have the population to sustain it, but we do have a population to sustain really good original restaurants. We don't have the population to sustain crap restaurants that are national gimmicky chains, and we're seeing those coming too. <laughs> Many reporters from out of town, um, their first question when they're talking about Denver and, and Denver's food is, so what is Denver's food? Mm -hmm. what, is the, what is the nut graph of Denver's food? And and um, my argument always is, I don't know what that is for any city other than New Orleans. Um, and sure. it's not even applicable anymore to New Orleans, you know, when you talk about Cajun and Creole. But, but at least that's the perception. But, but I, I, don't, I don't think of cities as having this one word answer to their culinary scene, and, which is what we had to convince Rich Grant of at, the, at Visit Denver um, because he, he needed that answer in order to placate out-of-town people who wanted to talk about Denver. So that's why he came up with beer in Buffalo, and he took them to the Buckhorn and to the Wincoop. And, and, Which are both you know, great places. I yeah, enjoy them, for, what for they sure. Are. For, for what they are. For what they are. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I think that they're a great part of that fabric that Patty was talking about of, of the, the entire culinary experience in, in Denver. I, I wouldn't take somebody who was coming here from out of town to the Buckhorn unless – you know, they showed up in mountain man, um, outfits. Mountain man outfits. You know, I mean, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't take people there only because I think there's a lot better restaurants in town and, and a lot more interesting restaurants in town. Although that is completely interesting if you have lived in Manhattan all your life. But I'd be more likely to take somebody to Domo in that same neighborhood. Uh, you if know, it were open. Because, if it, if it were open. Um, because, you know, that's way more interesting to me than than the buckhorn. And I like the buckhorn. I mean, I think the buckhorn's fine and yeah. and the whole, you know, dead animals on the wall shtick and all that stuff. Well, but and now Union Station restaurants, for example, if you want to show someone New Denver, you go to that and then maybe you go up Larimer and you go to Mexico City Lounge. So you show old and new within five blocks of each yeah. other. And you can stop at Rock Mountain and talk to Steve. Right, exactly. And buy a shirt to wear the buckhorn. There you go. <laughs> I've never been inclined to, to take a visitor <laughs> to the buckhorn. I've just, I mean, because I, I, they're like, take me out. You like to eat out in Denver. You, you were a food writer, and I take them to all these really great restaurants. I would, I would never be inclined to take them to Buckhorn. What's a restaurant you would take somebody to? I love to take people to Sushi Den um, mm -hmm. because it kind of blows my mind that we can have that quality of sushi in, in landlocked Colorado. Um, and it's just one of my favorites. And 
like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of Justin Cucci's stuff. So I love to go to like linger because mm-hmm. they do kind of the like global inspired tapas and I love Cholon. Yeah. I could go on and on. <laughs> that whole seafood, um, thing is, is intriguing. So when we announced, uh, I, I do work for Jennifer Jasinski and Beth Gruich and, when we announced Stoic and Genuine, most of the comments are, well, why would why would anybody go to eat in a seafood restaurant in Denver? Right. You know, where are they going to get their stuff out of the plat? You know, and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> the plat's stuff. fancy now, don't forget. <laughs> That's People right. pay a lot to live right there. I, I read all that and realized that that was a part of the messaging that I would have to figure out, um, just as you do with any restaurant, but that particular messaging. So we came up with this line, called the myth of coastal superiority. And and that is that people think that you can't get fish in Denver, you know, because it's uh, a thousand miles from the West and, and 2000 miles from the East or whatever the numbers are. And, and the fact is that most seafood flies over us. So if mm. you're in, if you're in New York and you want, you know, uh, West coast oysters, they, they fly past us. And if you're in Seattle and you want tilefish, from Florida, it flies over us, and and so we're we get stuff quicker <laughs> because of that, you know, and because logistics are the way they are, not at the moment because of supply chain issues, but in general, the way logistics have changed in the last fifteen years, we get food faster than than ever before. You know, I, in nineteen eighty, Seattle Fish Company, which is a Denver-based company named after Seattle, to make it sound like it was from Seattle, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, brought in truck, uh, truckloads of, of oysters from the East Coast, and it took two days to get here. And and now, you know, they come in on an LD3 container on a Delta jet. So, yeah. you know, it's just it's just the way it is. And, and you know, Sushi Den's a bit of an outlier in that, you know, they, they have a brother that is right. in Japan who's buying stuff, but but everybody is doing Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like you can't make... In this day and age, you can't make that argument anymore. I mean, just... It's it's not that hard to get fresh seafood flown into you. And I I've, I've repeatedly been disappointed by coastal seafood comparing it to something like sushi den. I mean, granted, like you said, they get their fish fresh every day from Japan, but still, I've been to disappointing coastal restaurants eating seafood. Yeah. The big difference is that if you're sitting in a crab shack in Maryland and the, you know, the seagulls are going up above you because you're out on the patio and, and dive bombing you to eat some of your uh, bread. Um, I, I still think that our memories of food sometimes are a whole buttload better than, mm-hmm. than the actual food itself. And when we go on vacation, I think there's an elevated uh, perception of the food because we're on vacation and, and we're experiencing something brand new. You know, you go to the linger the 93rd time. Right. I don't know. You've kind of the surprise and the exceptionalism of it maybe has has dimmed dimmed just a bit. Yeah. One of the other developments that I think has been great when you talk about Ceylon, Echolan, but the number of chef driven restaurants. I mean, we used to have them, but they were kind of prissy white tablecloth places, you know, where people would be avuncular hosts or 
just kind of a pain and nudgy. Snooty. Now you have, yeah, snooty. And now you have all these wonderful local restaurant groups that keep growing, and, but are friendly and generally friendly to newcomers as well as their longtime regulars. And they have the same attitude that you might find at the local sandwich shop mm-hmm. or the little local taqueria. It's just, it's fun. There are rock stars in a lot of ways. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high-quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh-baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. So a couple of weeks ago, the Denver Post published this story about restaurants moving out of downtown. It was like the headline was like, downtown is dead. And um, this focus on the suburbs. What is that? What is that dichotomy between the downtowns a, and suburbs? a bad headline for a movement that, of course, makes sense because you look at how many people live in the suburbs and want to eat good food. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go to Applebee's. So those are great markets for local restaurateurs who are trying to find out where to go next. Would you open a second restaurant downtown if you already have one? Well, maybe if you're Jen Jasinski and Beth Gruwich. But if you're... Frank Bonanno or Troy Gard, why not go to Arapahoe and I-25 where people are hungry for options? So that's really what I see the move as. That's It's not that downtown is dead. It's that these other suburbs are really hungry. What did you think about that idea, Peyton? I mean, as somebody that doesn't live in I the think, city. I think it makes sense. I 100% agree with Patty. I mean, growing up in the in the suburbs, it was it was Texas Roadhouse and Applebee's and Red Lobster and yeah. when I would come to downtown Denver it was a whole new world of options and I think Patty's right we've been wanting why why shouldn't the people in the suburbs get access to good food like that's and plus people can't live in Denver anymore I, I mean people say. are leaving Denver to live in the suburbs that's where the clientele is going why wouldn't they go out there I mean it makes sense to me There is a, an argument to be made that downtown has become a much more difficult place to do business when it comes to restaurants um, for several reasons. One is, you know, even though the occupancy rate in office buildings is is up there in the in the high high eighties and low nineties, um, the actual people in the buildings are in the ten to fifteen percent range at the moment. So all of those people who came and ate lunch, all of those people who yeah. went to happy hours downtown. All of those people who might have stuck around afterwards to have dinner aren't there. They're at their house, you know, in in doing remote work from home. Um, secondly, there's been a, what I consider a, a slightly exaggerated um, portrayal of downtown as this Lawless. you know cesspool yeah. of feces yeah. and homeless people, and and um, you know that whole stuff about Union Station. The the battle with Union Station has been behind. Union Station in the bus box. It's not been in the station itself. The station itself is thriving. And, and you know, there are 10 local restaurants in the station. Um, a, a miraculous development in Denver where 
chain restaurants, you know, at least peripherally got into every new development for, for years and years and years. And that, that decision to only use local restaurants was, was brilliant, Very in, in my opinion, and, and worked. Um, Peyton, what restaurant are you recommending for Denver Restaurant Oh, gosh. Week? I don't know. There's so many. Uh, I mean, I myself will probably do something. You know, Frank's on there, and I love his stuff. Um, Lawn's on there. I love his stuff. They're places I don't really get to go to that often, um, especially the pricier ones. So that's probably what I'll do, and then I'll probably just pick something I've never tried. Um, there's so many. There's 194 restaurants, I think, on the list. So. Oh. Go out, pick something you've heard of and you've never tried. Yeah. John, what about you? So a couple of things about Restaurant Week. Um, one is that, that people complain immediately that the, the hot ticket places are all sold out. Sure. And they probably are sold out for Friday and Saturday. You know, how about try Monday and try Tuesday mm-hmm. and try 5 o'clock instead of 7, you know, because everybody Be wants to eat at 7. Be strategic about it, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, those are some recommendations. I also would see, hope that everybody who makes reservations actually shows the fuck up and <laughs> and doesn't or cancels them one of the two mm-hmm. you know but just give the restaurant a chance a restaurant like Bistro and Dome which is one of my clients um, you know it only has about fifty seats fifty five sixty seats and and um, when a four top doesn't show up that's you know nearly ten percent of our business that night and so um, it's really important that people show, show up for their mm. for their uh, reservations. Um, the, my clients do, do it a little bit differently. They offer the entire menu. Um, so Bistro Vendome and Ultrea are participating this year with a couple of supplemental charges for the expensive things on the menu. So, you know, Patty's a big fan of Bistro Vendome. I, I just think it's one of the, the treasures of, of Denver because it's in Larimer Square, but it's not, Yeah. you know, it's, it's tucked Kinda behind Larimer Square and. And it's a little bit more tranquil back there in the in that I was courtyard. Say, I've never been there. I just was getting drunk at Lime in the basement next yeah. door. So you were the never person be- making that thump, I thump, was that awful. thump, thump, yeah. thump noise. But I've always wanted to try it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in fact, that's the one I would put on my list because I do restaurant week the other way. I like to go to old favorites because if I want to experience a new restaurant, I want to see how it is normally. Mm. Not that there's any normal in the pe- in the pandemic staffing supply chain issue days, but I like to see what they would be like on a regular time. But old favorites, it's a great time to visit. Peyton, John, and Patty, thank you all so much for joining me. You this bet. was fun. I know we should have catered this. I know, I'm hungry now. I'm hungry now. Food. I could have brought that. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli and Alexander McMahon. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, and I'm your host, Bree Davies. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Twitter, at CityCastDenver, and tell a friend about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Have a good weekend.